Hello folks, this is Mark Hope, and you are listening to Mage the Podcast, a show dedicated to the Mage the Ascension role-playing game. Joining me today from this is my co-host, Adam Simpson. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on today. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing quite well. It's a sunny day here in Texas. Uh, how are things in the UK? We've had three sunny days, so that's our summer for the year. We're done, and it's back to rain now until, uh, <laughs> until about May next year. <laughs> Okay, so today, folks, we're going to be talking about the top five books that you need to run a Mage Chronicle, apart from uh, the main rulebook, that is. Um, and if you're listening live on uh, Zcast, or Zcast, um, we, uh, we'd like you to join in, participate in the show, um, send us some text messages with any questions or comments that you have. Um, so, yeah, uh, the top five books needed to run a Mage Chronicle. Wow, I mean, take your pick. Uh, the first kind of question is um what kind of chronicle are you running but let's go with the idea that it's just you know um as close to a standard mage game as you can get not that there is such a thing so i guess the first thing we need to kind of think about is well what core book are you using are you uh are you busting out your old soft cover mage first edition um do you play second or revised or are uh, you one of the lucky people to have picked up the uh, 700 page glory that is mage 20th um adam what are your thoughts on uh, on which core book to use do you think that makes a difference i think it it does make a difference uh i first edition is uh great for getting a uh, feel for mage and a certain point of view on it really enjoy first edition however um the rules are rough in some places. There are some uh, talismans, I guess you could say magic items, uh, for those who don't know the lingo, uh, that are not very well constructed. And so a person can get into trouble if they are running their game based on first edition. Not recommended for, for the rules, but great to read. Uh, I took second edition and ran a number of games from there. And uh, I felt like I, I had what I needed and I was able to, to do what I liked. And, uh, of course, there's the revised book is also a, a great rule book to use. But uh, you and I were discussing earlier uh, some, some uh, bear patches in there. You can tell everyone about that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've run games in first, second, and revised in Mage 20th now. And I think they all have, like you say, their pluses in and minuses. I think um, the first edition Mage book has got a great, rich, dark atmosphere with plenty of dark corners. Um, none of it's really been mapped out. And if you're happy to go with what's in there, you can kind of make the game your own. Um, throw in the Book of Shadows for a little bit of rules clarity, as, uh, as Satya mentioned a couple of episodes ago. Um, for a comprehensive rule book, I think Mage Second does a pretty good job. Um, Mage Revised is beautifully organized, really, for the most part, clearly clearly well written. But yeah, like, uh, like you say, Adam, it doesn't have really anything on the Umbra, and it doesn't really have a solid antagonists chapter. So if you're looking for a, a broad spread of foes to fight, um, you'll struggle a little bit with Mage Revised Core. Um, when it comes to Mage 20th, um, not having enough information is going to be the farthest problem from your mind. If anything, there's almost too much there for a beginning storyteller to, to, to digest. Uh, and I think that probably is Mage 20th's biggest hurdle. But if you can get over that, um, Mage 20 really is one of the best places to start. It has a really well thought out description of the setting. 
uh, and the book takes you through it page by page, step by step, describing you, describing the mage universe to you and taking you through it. Uh, the rules are well laid out, and the magic chapter itself is just a beast. Uh, a nice, fast, down and dirty approach to the magic system, which you can pick up and run with almost immediately, and then it takes the time to lay it out for you in, uh, in painstaking detail after that. Adam, what are your thoughts on Mage 20? Have you had much experience with it? Well, I got the PDF, and uh, I was looking through it, reading some parts out of it, and I, you know, after a while I realized, you know, I, I'm not spending a lot of time in this, so I ordered my hardback copy waiting for that to hmm. arrive. And one of the things that really stands out as just great about the Mage 20 is it uh, basically opens up the, uh, the toolbox, it opens the hood on the car and lets you see the engine. And, and what I mean by that is... It says, okay, there's been Metaplot over the years, and these are changes that took place in the world. You can do it the, the, the old way, you can do it the new way, here's a third way. Um, it, it makes it very clear to people that these are all the different um, takes you can uh, approach the setting with. These are the different variants you can handle. And uh, people, a lot of people with their role-playing books, they don't have a do-it-yourself approach. They read the rule book and they rest very heavily on those assumptions and say, okay, this is the setting, this is how it's supposed to be, I got to run it this way. And so yeah. whether it's uh, first edition, second edition, or revised, those uh, assumptions can creep in and influence people when they don't even realize. But with Mage 20, they say, oh, hey, here's a couple of different options. I need to pick one and I can pick any one I want. And here are some reasons why I might like this one or that one. And so I, I just really like the idea that uh, we're going to lay everything bare. These are your choices. Do it your way. That is, yeah, I agree. That's the best thing about it. Its approach to Metaplot is fantastic. Um, if nothing else, it's killed Mage Flame Wars Stone Dead, uh, which can only be a good thing. And it also makes it very clear to you where rules are optional as well and gives you simplified approaches. So if you have the time to work your way through it, and if you're you know, a beginning storyteller or even an experienced storyteller getting back into Mage, uh, I'd give... Um, Mage 20th, uh, two thumbs up, or three thumbs up with a life effect. It's, it's great. Um, <laughs> so, so let's assume that you've, you've got your choice of core book sorted. Um, we decided for the show to pick each of us the, our top five books, not our top favorite books, but which are the five that we think would give the most to a storyteller looking to set up a Mage Chronicle from scratch. Um, so, Adam, what's, what's the first one on your list? Well, the first one on my list uh, is enthusiastic choice for me, both because I love it and because it has been so great to use at the gaming table. That is Beyond the Barriers, The Book of Worlds. And this is, uh, as it turns out, the first edition of this kind of source book. There was a second one later on called The Infinite Tapestry, which is basically the revised or the book two of that. But uh, looking through both of them, Book of Worlds is my choice. It is a lot of fun. It has a lot of great ideas. I mean, I, I challenge any uh, potential storyteller to read through even half of this book and have less than five great ideas for something to do with their players. And uh, there's also some useful rules information for how to uh, take your players into the Umbra, how they can handle the problems they meet once they are there, and how you can make the different realms or, or territories in there, not only interesting, but noticeably different from each other. 
Yeah, um, by no uh, mere coincidence, uh, the Book of Worlds Beyond the Barriers is the number one on my list as well. Um, so yeah, we're in complete agreement there. It is a fantastic guide to the spirit realms, and for those who aren't exactly clear exactly what the Book of Worlds is, that's, it is, as the cover says, the other world's source book for Mage the Ascension. And it takes you through the spirit worlds that populate the game from the periphery, which sits at the edge of the spirit world, the penumbra that lies just on the far side of the barrier between our world and the next, and then these deeper and increasingly fantastic and outrageous umbral realms um, from the middle umbra, which is a sort of reality of uh, spiritual resonance, uh, the astral umbra, which is the realm of ideas and concepts, the dark umbra, uh, which is where all things go to die, and then into the beyond, whatever lies beyond that, beyond the horizon and out into the stranger reaches of the cosmos. And it really covers, uh, and this is for me one of the main things that recommends it, um, pretty much every aspect of the Umbra, at least in some level of detail. Uh, Infinite Tapestry was, I, I did think about Infinite Tapestry, but that's more slanted toward the Astral Umbra and also exists later on in the Metaplot. So through, through Mage's Metaplot, the Avatar Storm, excuse me, the Avatar Storm that we talked about a couple of episodes ago, that um, wreaks incredible changes to the spirit world, and the Infinite Tapestry book sort of takes place in that period. Book of Worlds is before all that happens, and so the spirit worlds are pretty much unchanged by any Metaplot elements, and uh, you have uh, an incredible guided tour, basically, of these worlds beyond the barrier. If you're a player of Werewolf, some of it's going to be familiar to you. Some of the realms that they talk about in the Middle Umbra are the same ones that appear in the Werewolf game, so there's a good crossover potential. And similarly, if you're a player of Wraith uh, the Oblivion, its treatment of the Underworld is completely compatible with Wraith. Um, when it gets into the Astral Realms, it starts talking about things that have not been covered in any other game line before superbly innovative, incredibly imaginative. And when you get beyond the horizon, the um, the sort of outer atmosphere of Earth's spiritual reality, it just goes completely off the charts. Incredible stuff. Takes you out to the uh, planets of the solar system and looks at their spiritual worlds too. What's the umbra like on Mars? Um, what are the technocracy and, th and the traditions fighting over on Jupiter? And then further still, beyond the solar system, things like uh, the COP, the uh, Copernicus Research uh, Station, um, uh, a star that has um, a weird living spaceship around it called the Vivo, and then these weird kind of Cthulhu entities that lurk at the very edges of the mage cosmos. So everything from um, the spiritual reflection of your lo local neighborhood park out to the absolute unknowable beyond. And it's this breadth of scope that for me really uh, really makes it a, a must-have if you want to take your, your game into, into parts unknown. Yeah, yeah, it gives a, a, a varied and open-ended view of all these different aspects of the Umbra so that uh, I think any kind of a storyteller is going to read through this and say, well, okay, the outer Umbra, that's a little too weird for me, but oh, this, this section of the astral Umbra, that, that really uh, gives me some ideas. I want to take my players there. And, you know, every, every kind of storyteller is going to find some spot that appeals to them because there's so much variety here. Yeah, it's nice that way. It's broken down into little realms and these little pocket dimensions. So you could just decide to use, you know, one two-page section out in the middle of the book that talks about uh, the Inventium or, uh, you know, the uh, the, li the library of all sorts of weird uh, arcane languages that exists up in the astral and just set an entire adventure around there. Like you say, uh, defy any storyteller 
to read through it and not come away with at least half a dozen great ideas. So yeah, that would be our, our number one pick, The Book of Worlds, uh, Beyond All Barriers. Check it out. Okay, uh, Adam, number two, what did you go for? I liked the first edition of the Book of Madness, a source book of darkness from Age the Ascension, which covers enemies, uh, opponents, um, people that the mages might uh, face off against, like uh, Paradox Spirits, the Nefandi, the Marauders, uh, Demons and Infernal Cults, and Umbrood, uh, spirit, beings from the Umbra. So in a complete fluke, that's my second choice as well. <laughs> also, the Book of Madness. Uh, I'm, I'm torn between the uh, original version and the one that came out and revised. Um, but you, you said you, uh, you lean more toward, uh, toward the first edition, huh? Yeah, um, I used the Nefandi section in one of my uh, longer campaigns and got so much good material out of there that it uh, might just be biasing me. But uh, there's also um, some great material in the back that gave some sample paradox spirits, some sample umbrus, mm. some sample yeah. magical uh, sort of creatures. And uh, it was kind of a go-to book for a lot of different campaigns. It's like, oh, I, I need a, uh, I guess, a monster, a mysterious monster. Well, I get in here and, oh, well, this is going to work just fine. Just change the name. I've got what I need. Yeah, yeah. And for a first edition book, and it come, came out, it's one of the last three or four books of the first edition run, it's aged really well, I think. Um, I, I agree completely. It was really a, a go-to resource um, in the Nefandi section. Um, what's his name? Herr, Herr Flack? He became, I renamed him, but he became just the number one recurring NPC in my uh, Nefandi NPC enemy in my Chronicle for years and years, that guy did. Um, uh, Alas Wad, the, the black man from the, from the later section, likewise, a great behind-the-scenes villain. Um, and some of the stranger umbrewed there's a one which which crawls across the surface of a neutron star as well, the name of which I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Um, just a really imaginative enemy. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing I think that makes the that recommends the Book of Madness first edition over the revised one is its section on uh, paradox spirits. Uh, that's absent from the revised version. And it's not such a bad thing because paradoxes gets covered in the core books more thoroughly in later editions. But certainly back in the day of uh, first edition, this was a fantastic resource for... Uh, for running paradox spirits, like you say, there's a handful of sample ones in there as well. Um, th- I mean, did you find anything about the Book of Madness that didn't work for you? Well, uh, to be honest, the uh, section on the Marauders was not very helpful to me. Uh, when I read through it, uh, it, it did not appeal so much. I thought it was uh, too simplistic a look at uh, Marauders and uh, their allies, and I decided that there's there's really not anything here that's going to help me in my games. So I gave that section of it a pass. Yeah, I quite enjoyed a couple of the NPC Marauders in there, but I it took me years to find an opportunity to really slot them in. Uh, they weren't very easy fits to my games. Um, the revised version takes a slightly different approach, uh, looks at their magic in a bit more detail, and you get Marauder merits and flaws, which is kind of fun as well. And also... Um, the Marauders have, uh, as a concept, have had a few years to, to mature by them. What interested me uh, more about the revised version was actually its section on Infernals, uh, as opposed to the Nefandi itself, um, sort of worshippers of, uh, of the Infernal regions, and mainly because it had this really great system on souls, the soul trade, on trading you know, your soul out for something, and on gaining these really cool investments. 
which I think, I, they, if I recall correctly, they crop up in some of the Werewolf the Apocalypse books for the Fomori and antagonists like that. But they're basically these um, static magic powers that you can get by trading bits of your soul off uh, to the enemy. So, you know, inc increased armor or natural weaponry or um, appearing innocent or being able to shoot hellfire out of your eyeballs and, uh, and fun stuff like that. And I mm -hmm. thought that was a, a really great addition. Yeah, it does sound useful. Yeah. And uh, they had a slightly different approach to, uh, to Umbrood as well in the revised version. In the original version, um, some of the Umbrood have sphere ratings. And you've got a guy with um, Arate 10, but uh, he's gone <laughs> from the revised version. Yeah, and that's not so surprising. If you look at early editions of uh, Vampire the Masquerade, they say, uh, hey, there's these lupins, you know, werewolves, and uh, you can give them these vampiric disciplines just to, you know, make them work in your game. And now, yeah. of course, you know, in, in later books, uh, that was not as important. They just said, well, you know, werewolves work the way werewolves do, and, and you can use those rule sets. Yeah, cool. Okay, um, so at this point, um, looking at our lists, it seems to me that, that we diverge a little bit. Um, so what did, you, what did you pick after Book of Worlds and Book of Madness? Well, um, I chose the Book of Mirrors, which is uh, Storyteller's mm. Guide, the first of uh, the two Storyteller Guides looking back. And uh, that was... Um, very useful for me, both for advice on how to structure, run your games. Also, it had a lot of good um, uh, NPCs, animals, um, rotes, um, a lot of you know little bits and pieces that, when you look through it, uh, can be quite useful. And also, there's uh, some information again on um, on enemies like uh, marauders and nefandi, although shorter sections there. Yeah, I was. Um... I was a big fan of the revised, uh, the hardback storyteller's handbook. Uh, it was actually the last Mage the Ascension book I was able to buy. It took me years to find the damn thing. Uh, and I really like the approach that it takes to variant rules. Um, but when I'm starting a new chronicle, the first thing I do is I sit down and I read the Book of Mirrors again. Because uh, its advice on building a Mage chronicle is pretty much second to none. I don't think it's really been equal to this day. Um, your little uh, mention that you made just there of the small sections on the antagonists, I found great. It's a really good one-stop shop if you just need a quick reference on how the Nefandi work. It's got a really nice high-level breakdown of, mm -hmm. the of, of, the, of the technocracy and all its little sub-conventions and sub-factions. That's really, really useful. Yeah, I was just picturing a storyteller who's uh, tight on time. It's like, well, I need something, but I don't need a whole source book for every one. Yeah. Just, just give me a bit. And it's there. Yeah. The Book of Mirrors is a great resource for that. I loved the um, the section on uh, uh, mundane creatures, you know, alligators and cats and owls and baboons mm -hmm. and things that you will almost never need. But if it comes up, you can kind of flip it open to that. And um, the uh, section at the back, which is <laughs> a rare thing in old White Wolf books, uh, a really useful index. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that covers pretty much all the mage books that have been out up to that point, where to find the general magic systems, where the rotes and magical effects are, all by name. and Yeah, that was really handy. And at the very, very back, the uh, common magical effects table, which of course is, you know, so so central to, uh, to Mage 20. Mm -hmm. One of the things that really struck me at the time uh, were the essays at the back. Uh, these essays on kind of... Uh, 
not so much about running a chronicle in great detail, but things to think about, you know, uh, uh, using symbology and, uh, and symbols in your game and different ways to manage the, um, the spotlight between NPCs and, uh, and player characters and how to find ways to reflect your own aspects in the game. Really kind of high-level uh, philosophical approaches to Mage that were quite interesting. Um, one about gender, sex, and gaming. I remember this one in the 90s, reading this and thinking, yeah, okay, does this matter? And then I went back and skimmed over it again the other day, and it couldn't be more relevant now if it tried. I mean, it's almost like it was 20 years ahead of its time by Dina McKinney. A really uh -huh. interesting read uh, in, in light of you know, today's current political climate. Really good. Um, so for me, uh, number three was the Guide to the Traditions, which is a hardback book that came out in the uh, kind of middle era of the revised run of the line. Uh, and it's pretty much what it says on the tin, um, a guide to the nine traditions. It's a little bit more than just a compilation of stuff reworked from the tradition splat books, however. It's a, a really thorough, comprehensive look at the mage setting from the perspective of the nine traditions. So you get this massive history section that really has only kind of been equaled with the history section in Mage the 20th. This one's longer. Um, goes into really excruciating detail of, of the uh, of the magical world and its rise and the fall of the various factions that lead to the modern game, very much from the perspective of, uh, of the nine traditions. It has a great section on um, tradition culture, uh, their laws, their uh, their customs, what it's actually like living in a chantry. It's got a handful of really nice optional rules, some new backgrounds, some new traits, uh, a fantastic subsystem uh, called seasonal play which is a kind of like a downtime system for mage. The idea is that when your mage is, you know, kicking back in the chantry, uh, they can spend weeks or months working on their knowledge of notes or working in the library or spending time with their mentor or meditating on the nature of quintessence. And this effectively allows them to uh, get bonus experience points, actually save on experience point expenditure in, uh, that you use later on. It's a really nice downtime system. Um, it's got some great uh, alternate factions. So when two or three different traditions combine to work toward a common goal, you get these sort of cross-tradition partnerships. Um, and then it has a, uh, a sort of more general look toward the end of the book at um, running a game for tradition mages, how to build plots and how to run seekings and uh, how to, uh, to, to cater your, uh, your game sessions to, uh, to tradition-oriented play. So for that reason, um, if you're going to be featuring the nine traditions in your chronicle, the guide to the traditions to me is almost a must-have. Um, if you want them to just be something that exists on the peripheries, if you're concentrating more on the disparates or underlying cabals, it's not such a big deal. Um, but if you want the traditions to be front and center, uh, this one for me is, is a must have. Do you have any experience with this book at all, Adam? Uh, I really liked the, uh, information on, uh, downtime 
activities mm. and, and just even thinking about that because uh, when I get together with the people who spend a lot of time on fantasy role playing, uh, that's a concept that they have down quite well. It's like, yeah, when I'm not adventuring, my character is going to be doing this and doing that and, you know, to improve the character and then prepare for the future. And uh, a lot of the people I talked to who were just in White Wolf games and not so much any others, they didn't have as clear an idea of, of downtime. It's like, well, when I'm not adventuring, I guess I'm not going to worry about that because it's not interesting. And, you know, it, it helps to let people know, no, it, it's quite interesting, but it works a little differently than, than an active game session. And here's some things you can do. Here's some things to think about. I think it's very helpful for uh, uh, mage players. Yeah, that's uh, really, really good. Okay. Um... Before we move on to our, uh, our number four choices, I just want to give a reminder to any listeners, I can see we've got a couple there, that if you have any questions for us or any comments, just uh, hit us up with uh, with them here on the on the webpage, um, uh, and we'll we'll, uh, we'll shout right back at you. Okay, so uh, Book of Worlds, Book of Madness, and the Book of Mirrors. Did you pick anything that doesn't have book in the title? Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> I did. I picked the Technomancer's Toy Box, and a toy box oh, is very cool. different from a book. But uh, yeah. it was a source book, and uh, I guess it was second edition, maybe towards the uh, later part of the second edition run. And I liked it because it's, um, even though it is one of the slimmer books coming in at uh, about 101 pages, it gives a very focused information on techno magic, which for some storytellers, not a problem, but for others, um, it, it can be a bit of a challenge. They're used to thinking of magic in terms of uh, some of the movies they've seen or fantasy role-playing. It's like, oh, magic is stuff that Merlin did hundreds of years ago, and isn't it interesting to bring it into the modern day? And some people need a little help dealing with, well, techno-magic is, is also magic, but it's a bit different from you know what the wizards and witches were doing hundreds of years ago. And so this book is... Um, not at all daunting to pick up and, and mow through. It's got sections on the etherites, on the virtual adepts, on the technomancers, and uh, rotes, talismans, um, different approaches to things. It's um, very useful and very focused. I, I thought it was stuffed with ideas. Just every page is another incredible concept um some beautiful artwork as well i thought the artwork in this was really striking um and i didn't i didn't enthuse about that enough with the uh the book of mirrors by the way that's got some of my favorite artwork in mage uh but this likewise really strong detailed intricate pieces um yeah like you say it starts us off with uh with focus on the actual tradition technomancers just to remind us that those that they exist the, the adepts uh, the etherites and then the, uh, the technocracy themselves, and a little bit toward the end of the technomancers from the other traditions. So those who work in the cult of ecstasy and the dream speakers and hermetics and so forth. Um, it's just stuffed with incredible gadgets and gizmos and talismans and devices. And they're written in such a way that each one itself constitutes a plot hook. So rather than just being a selection of magical items that you, you know, you can go around and shoot people with, it's um, also a, uh, pretty good collection of plot ideas that said though there is a section at the back of stuff that you can pick up and run around and shoot people with um, a little section on mundane weaponry so if you wanted to know the stats for a 50 cal machine gun or um, a large mortar or how many dice a hundred uh, of damage 120 millimeter field gun does um, yeah. that's 30 <laughs> and information on vehicles as well there's a number of vehicles yeah. that uh, don't uh, come 
up in uh, everyday life, but uh, when you're attacking a military installation or some other unusual place, you start thinking, oh, wait a minute, uh, how would I make a Humvee or an APC? And here it is. Yeah, or my hot air balloon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all its stats are just zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is uh, under aircraft. It's, it's, it's aircraft, but uh, when there's a gunfight, do you really want to be in that thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so a surprisingly, uh, a surprisingly replete volume, the toy box. That was a really good choice. I like that one. Um, so, yeah, I had uh, two books that have book in the title and two that have guide in the title. My second uh, uh, one of those being the Guide to the Technocracy. Uh, and this came out right at the end of the second edition run. And it kind of straddles the line between second and revise in a number of ways, and not least of which is it presents... Um, a slightly more human face to that technocracy. Now, okay, that said, the book is deeply satirical in the way it's written. Uh, it's written from the point of the technocracy where they're seriously glossing over and whitewashing all the terrible, <laughs> terrible things they do to people um, in the, uh, the name of their um, occasionally noble cause. Uh, but once you kind of get to grips with the tone, um, there's an awful lot of good stuff in here. And it's basically uh, a core book for technocrats. The um, the core books in first and second edition were very much from the perspective of the tradition majors. So this kind of redresses the balance with uh, a nice history section from the uh, from the perspective of the technocratic union, uh, telling you uh, how the technocracy works as a, as a group from the inside and how it operates within the world. Splat pages for each of its conventions, Duration X, Syndicate, New World Order, etc. And uh, then, as you would expect, a character creation section, how to build your uh, your victors, your hit marks, your clones, your New World Order, gray suits and white suits, some uh, extra backgrounds, some extra traits, and uh, a discussion on how they handle the spheres, which is um, which is pretty useful, given that as far as they're concerned, it's not magic. And then we kind of pop in after that with a, an overview of for the storyteller, how to run games for technocrat characters, uh, for games that are centered entirely around the Union. Um, a bunch of really interesting rotes and procedures, vehicles, tech, the kind of stuff actually that would belong in the, uh, the Technomancer's toy box. Um, when this book came out, it really did signal uh, a sea change in the way that majors approached. And even today, and if you've been on the Facebook group at all recently in the last few days, you'll see there's a, an explosion of threads about the technomancers at the moment, about the technocracy, uh, exploring their, um, their motivations and their morals and their ethics and uh, how they can be seen as a viable set of protagonists alongside the, uh, alongside the traditions. And it all pretty much started here. Before this, they were cast very much in the, uh, in the position of guys you want to fight. And even back to the earliest days of first edition, it wasn't even entirely sure that guys like the Men in Black, for example, were even properly human. The guy that technocracy is the book that really kind of changed all that. Have you used it yeah. in play at all? Oh, the Guide to the Technocracy was a great book. It was the book that I so much wanted to use and did not get the the opportunity. I had uh, players who would always uh, you know start with me, and I would say, "Well, do you guys want to play?" Uh, technocrats like oh no they're the bad guys it's like well you know there, yeah. there's different ways of looking at this and uh, there's a lot of territory we haven't covered and my players say well you know um i'm gonna take a tradition mage because they're the good guys and that's that's my thing that's what i'm doing 
And I kept appealing to them saying, well, you know, we could do something all different. It'd be so interesting. And they were not as interested. So that was the book I wanted to use. I enjoyed reading and I could not use it at my table as much as I wanted to. Hmm. We, we would never had a full on cabal of uh, an amalgam, sorry, of uh, technocrat characters. Although as our campaigns progressed, we always had at least one person in the group who was either slightly aligned or an actual full-on member who was either infiltrating or they just said, we're going to work with this guy no matter what. Um, we're actually gearing up at the moment. It's not quite the same, but we're gearing up for a Sorcerer's Crusade uh, run of uh, short adventures where they're all going to be playing characters from the Order of Reason. Um, so, yeah, as a forerunner to the Technocratic Union, that's something that I'm really, really looking forward to seeing him play. Yeah, that's something I would also look forward to. That sounds great. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, okay, so for your final of your fifth, what did you go for, Adam? Well, uh, the Bygone Bestiary is technically not a mage book, but it's, no, it's called not. the World well, of Darkness source <laughs> yeah. book. And uh, that means you can use it with any of the five um, games in the World of Darkness, or I guess now we'd say the old World of Darkness line. But um, I had players that found this book or described character concepts to me that would fit into this book better. And so I ended up using it a lot, and not so much because I thought it was a great book, but because my players were finding things in there that they wanted to work with. So it was uh, in my short stack that I took to the gaming table uh, quite often. It uh, allows you to um, build uh, magical monsters um, from mythology and legends and uh, have them actually appear in your game. And of course in Mage there's mention of bygones, which were magical creatures that used to live on Earth in the Middle Ages and before, and when uh, things changed when consensual reality became more strict and uh, magic and belief started declining. Um, many of those bygones died out. Many more retreated into magical realms in the Umbra that were more hospitable to them, where they could uh, spend the remainder of their time. And so there's always been mention of them either... Uh, pairing up with some tradition mages or with marauders or, or other disparates. And so uh, this book says, hey, now you can uh, create these uh, magical monsters for your gaming table. But also, it works very well as a quick and easy to understand set of rules for making uh, kustos, which is uh, more powerful allies, uh, assistants, and helpers of mages who are not themselves mages. So I've, I've had... Uh, uh, one game where a player was looking through the magic rules and said, you know, this is this is too much for me. I, I want to, you know, be a hero and fight evil, but I, I, I don't want to get into all these uh, subtleties and understandings. Please don't talk to me about paradigm. <laughs> so I said, well, okay, what if you had a Kusto, someone who was uh, powerful, uh, direct, you can pick powers off of the list in um, the back of this book. And that that really got their attention. They said, okay, this this is for me. This is what I'm going to do. And that character was the uh, the physical fighting character in the group, and the other players really came to rely on him. So it, it worked out quite well. That's really interesting. I, I always initially just looked at it as at a sort of monster manual for the Sorcerer's Crusade. And I think it was clear that it was meant to be initially a Sorcerer's Crusade book, because if you look at the monster entries, they follow the same format. They have that future fate section that discusses what's happened to this line of creatures in the modern world. Where are the unicorns? Where are the hippogriffs? Um, but yeah, as I got to grips with the book, this section at the back where it's 
make your own monster basically it was just revolutionary i mean there's been a few different attempts at that in mage um the uh ascension's right hand book i believe has something like that and there's another one i want to say you know either forged by dragon's fire or uh the storyteller's companion but the one in here is just wildly off the charts it's it's not just making regular people. You can really literally make your own monster with this thing. So I find that really, really enjoyable for play. Yeah. And a really upsetting artwork too. That weird lion thing that's walking around with a baby in its mouth. I mean... <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the Middle Ages were, were not always uh, gentle and sweet, but... Uh... <laughs> uh, good. Yeah, if you've got children or uh, a significant other who's not a gamer, then yeah, they take that off the shelf and they say, what is this? And well, we got to talk I... about this. I made a, a screensaver that was just artwork extracted from World of Darkness books, and one day my wife goes, um, we need to talk. There's this picture came by, and uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, what was it? Mm. Yeah, baby lion, you say. Okay, good. Um, nice. So uh, for my last book, I picked How Do You Do That, uh, which is the only entry so far from the Mage 20 line. Um, although, to be fair, we've only got a couple of books out for Mage 20. And this is a uh, hardback book which basically tells you uh, how to use spheres and effects in the Mage 20 line. I've um, got it on order. I'm eagerly awaiting it. Oh, it's great. Uh, it was originally going to be part of Mage 20, um, but there's only so many words you can fit in a book. And so a, a large chunk of Mage 20 was kind of hived off into, um, well, into this, into the Book of Secrets, into uh, gods, monsters, and familiar strangers, and what have you. Um, so this one is, uh, it's not a huge book, it's, what are we looking at here? Okay, about 140-odd pages. Um, and what it does is it breaks down the mage magic system into types of effect. So in the core book, you've got them broken down by sphere, with brief, uh, pretty tightly written descriptions of... Um, what each sphere level does. And when M20 came out and there weren't after that, you know, pages and pages of sample effects, I had a brief moment of, oh, what? No, this is missing. This is wrong. But actually the sphere descriptions in there are pretty lucid, pretty tightly written. And you can make a, you can make a good go of it with those, especially when it's combined with the common magical effects chart. And this kind of takes the common magical effects chart um, and turns it into a whole book. So instead of just being, you know, here's a bunch of prime roads, here's a bunch of spirit roads, here's a bunch of mind roads, instead it starts off with, uh, first section is conjuration, transformation, shape changing and modification. The next section is on elemental mastery, then energy work, then enhanced perceptions, martial arts, etc. Summoning and binding, time travel, time distortion, uncanny influence, necromancy. So what it's doing is it's breaking down magical effects by a theme, if you will, by what they're intended to do. And then within that, it's all subsections. So let's say, for example, the necromancy section uh, has, each section starts with the basics, which is here are the basic sphere levels that you need to be able to um, to do necromancy or to do spirit control. And then you'll have necromantic travel, ghost calling, warding against the dead, channeling the dead, animating the dead, reviving and resurrection, that kind of thing. And it does that for each section. Um, 
shape changing has, body modifications, permanent changes, cybernetics. And within each one of those, there's a variety of different ways to achieve the, uh, the outcome that you're looking for, with the sphere ratings listed and with a general guide to how many successes you need, if it does anything to difficulty, if it changes paradox in any way. And it just goes through this step by step, bit by bit. And it also talks about, in some cases, the ethos that surrounds it. So, for example, in the section on uncanny influence, mind control, it actually talks a little bit about how is this going to affect your mage? You know, if you go around mind controlling people, it's going to have an effect on your life. Similarly with necromancy, if you go around trafficking with ghosts, things are going to get weird for you. So... Um, for uh, someone who's new to Mage 20, in fact, for someone who's had any experience with Mage at all, it's pretty invaluable because it gives you a real nuts and bolts look at the system. Minimal fluff, minimal digressions, just here's the hood, lift it up, look at the wiring and see what you can do with it. Um, one of the things that I enjoy the most about it is it reinforces the idea that paradigm matters. Your Mage's focus matters, what they believe matters. Uh, so there are many different ways to skin a cat, as the old saying goes. Um, let's say that chi and energy work is important to you. There's a nice subsection in there that shows you how you can use energy work to get healing effects. Uh, if you are, for example, uh, telekinetic, maybe your focus has to do with psychic powers. There's a great approach to telekinesis that I've not seen in any other mage book. Normally, let's say you want to move a car around, you're going to use forces in some way or form. Okay? You make your arete roll to move the car to here, you make a roll to move it to there. How do you do that has got a great little approach which says, no, no, if, if you don't want to be standing there chanting or waving your arms or what have you, you can set up an effect that links your mind to the car. And now once the effect is running, after that, you're just using it through willpower rolls. You're actually genuine, genuinely using your mind. Um, so it no longer becomes something that the avatar does. Your avatar sets up the effect, and then your mage's own mental power controls it after that. So it gives you a really nice way to, to model actual telekinesis that comes out of the mind as opposed to out of something that your, that your avatar is doing. And I've not really seen anything quite like that in Mage before. It's really, really innovative. So yeah, if you want a, a good, thorough, in-depth look at Mage's sphere system from a whole bunch of uh, interesting angles, how do you do that is, um, is the one for you. So that's something you've got on order, is it, Adam? You're looking forward to that? Yes, I do have it on order, and I am... Uh, uh probably about a week until that comes so quite quite looking forward to it but I've got to let myself uh, remember that it's, it's probably going to be a week or so yeah and then how long it takes you to digest it too <laughs> that too that too yeah. <laughs> okay so that's our five um because it's maze do you want a bonus book um well gosh if I were to throw in a bonus book I would uh I've got a couple of ideas here. Ascension's right hand was really great. Digital web is a lot of fun, but I'm probably going to take Book of Crafts, a magical Ooh, cool. society source book for Mage the Ascension, and that was uh, in the second edition era. Just really, really great stuff in there. I'm sure you uh, remember that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's the the disparates in 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 some way or form came out of that book. Um, it's a a really lovely look at mages who aren't part of the technocracy or the traditions. Really fascinating stuff. Yeah. Uh, for me, if I had to, if I was allowed a, a sixth one, um, it would be the Mage Translation Guide, uh, which tells you how to convert Mage the Ascension characters into Mage the Awakening characters and back again. 
And it's a really, uh, really unusual book that is an attempt to bridge the two game lines. Um, but it's a source of just, for me, outrageous ideas. So Mage of the Awakening is from the uh, New World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness, as it's called now, and has uh, mage societies that have nothing to do with the traditions or the technocracy or the mage universe in any way, shape, or form. And if you want to mix things up in a really unexpected way, uh, there's more ideas in here that you, than you can uh, shake a magic staff at. The thing that always that I really enjoyed about this was uh, because it converts the rules in the other way, it takes Ascension and makes it ready for Awakening players, it explains the Ascension system like no, awake, like, like no Ascension book does because it's explaining it to people who don't know anything about Ascension. So there's a really fantastic breakdown of how this uh, success system works in Ascension spellcasting system. So what does one error take success actually equal? Um, what does a, uh, a change in the difficulty rating equal? Um, how does paradox really work under the hood? And for those for those kind of few pages alone, I was really blown away by the translation guide. It answered questions that I kind of had about ascension uh, for years, and I never never really explicitly addressed. So if you want um, uh, an unusual look at, uh, at Mage the Ascension, pick up the translation guide. It's um, available print on demand from Drive Through RPG. Okay. So I think we've come to the end of our uh, of our recommendations there. Um, thanks for listening along, everybody. If uh, if you want to follow us online, you can find us at magethepodcast.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at magethepodcast. Uh, you can also subscribe to Mage the Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and now on the TuneIn app. And uh, if you like the show, leave a review on iTunes. That helps people find it. If you didn't like the show, um, go on, leave a review on iTunes, but be gentle. Um, because, you know, we're sensitive. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening. And, Adam, thank you for joining me on the show. It's been great. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun today. Okay. And uh, we're going to sign off now. So uh, happy playing, uh, Purple Players. And we'll uh, see you next time. Take it easy. Take it easy, everyone. <laughs>